Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. There are abundant stories about bands that should have hit it big and legions of musicians who once perched on the edge of American pop or rock stardom who are now middle-aged people living quietly as insurance agents, bankers, teachers, engineers. And in the story that we're about to hear, Eastern Orthodox priests. Three members of the Tekoa slash Athens, Georgia band Luxury wear cassocks and say mass on some days and play rock and roll shows on others. The remarkable story is told in Parallel Love, the story of a band called Luxury. The documentary feature makes its Atlanta premiere at the Plaza Theater Wednesday, June 19th, in its Cine in Athens on Thursday the 20th. And Matt Hinton is with us. He is the director, writer, producer, editor of Parallel Love and a guitarist for the band Luxury. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And also with us is Chris Foley. He's Father Christopher of Holy Cross Orthodox Church in High Point, North Carolina. Chris, thank you for being with us. Great to be here. And Father David from St. John of Damascus in Tyler, Texas, also known as Lee Bozeman, singer of the band Luxury. Father David, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Well, Matt, you joined Luxury as a guitarist some 20 years ago. You were a musician at the time. Were you also a fan? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it was closer to 20 years ago than a couple of years ago that I joined. But um, in 99, uh, uh, I was in a different band, uh, and we would play shows together. And and um, so as a friendly band situation, I was a big fan of Luxury, and uh, and at some point, they decided that they could use an extra guitar, particularly for live stuff. And so, and you had you planned on was a film in the works in your mind? Oh then? no, 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 no. I mean, you know, like how interesting would it be at that point? Well, it could. I mean, it'd be semi-interesting. <laughs> they weren't interesting before they became priests. No, not really. Uh, no, they were semi-interesting, but you know, it was sort of one thing piled on top of the next. And so it's like, okay, that wreck was interesting, and then. And then eventually when we made this most recent record, Trophies, which is going to be coming out soon, uh, as we started to make that, I thought, well, I'm sure that that's interesting. Like that, this is our first record that we had made with three guys as priests, which is – it'd be one thing if one person was a priest in the band, but three just seemed too interesting to, to ignore. So I had – made a film before and sort of knew how to do it, and so that got me there. Well, Father Chris, you were a student at Tacoa Falls. This is North Georgia Christian College. How did you meet Lee and his brother Jamie? Well, I started in the fall of 1990. Um, Jamie was already a student there, uh, as well as our drummer, future drummer Glenn. Uh, so Lee and I came in the same year uh, as freshmen, and you know, looking for musicians desperately. Uh, since I had been playing bass for a number of years, uh, all the musicians found each other. And so we quickly, uh, you know, started playing together, writing music together, and formed the band. And Lee, you grew up in Toledo, Ohio. Your father was an evangelical pastor. How did you discover punk rock? Well, you know, so I grew up really in a number, number of different places, but we ended up in Toledo briefly. 
I didn't uh, I didn't really get into into punk rock music as you call it uh, really until college after meeting Father Chris. Um, before that, it was more of the standard '80s alternative sort of bands. Um, but Father Chris was able to introduce me to some of the I don't know that the other side of things. So that's that was sort of the the opening to all of that. Yeah, I guess Depeche Mode and the Smiths may have been more of your cup of tea yeah. at that point. Yeah, that was definitely my my uh, genre. Well, once you all did find each other, your first band was called The Shroud. And make a point in the film that it play, you played at skate parks and bookstores, pretty much anywhere that would have you. And some people do describe you as the Smith meets Fugazi meets punk rock. Had you heard anything like that at Tacoa Falls? <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, there was no, I mean, as far as I knew, there was no music, uh, at Tacoa Falls College. Um, I mean, there were little bands here and there, but nothing like that. I think that was just the combination of a lot of different forces coming together that were unexpected, um, that kind of brought us to where we were and what we sounded like. And you later changed your name to Luxury. Here is Lee talking about that from the film. It was kind of ironic because we were all dirt poor and none of us had any hopes of living luxurious lives. They lived in a trailer park in Tacoa. The floors were caving in, no air conditioning. We were all working together, practicing twice a week. I worked with them on construction sites. Chris and I painted houses. We built homes. They work hard. They have a blue collar, punk rock ethic. That was beginning in that clip. Then Lee Bozeman, singer for the band Luxury, now Father David in Tyler, Texas. Also with me from the band is Father Chris, Chris Foley, an Orthodox priest and bassist for the band, and Matt Hinton. He's a guitarist for the band and filmmaker for Parallel Love, a documentary about the band. So you change your name to this aspirational-sounding uh, luxury, and the film follows you getting signed by Tooth & Nail Records. It's a Christian records label. After luxury killed it, from what we hear at a Cornerstone Festival in 1994, Matt, what was going on in Christian rock at that time? Huh. Well, I, I don't know exactly. I mean, I wasn't uh, super involved in it, but what I do know is that... Um, you know, the early '90s was a time when a lot was changing, and and um, certainly Christian rock, I think, had the reputation and still kind of does of being very middle of the road, not particularly interesting music. And um, I think that Tooth and Nail was a label that was trying to do something that uh, was reflective of what was going on broadly in the culture and doing more sort of uh, kind of edgier type of of things and at that point I mean at the point that that the band signed with Tooth and Nail um, which I was I wasn't in the band yet but the the way that it's been communicated to me is that is that Tooth and Nail didn't really see itself as a Christian label at that point they had sort of a foot in both worlds and Luxury was, was one of the first bands to sign to the label so the identity of the label hadn't really formed yet. So it was not, I don't think it was completely clear to them that they were signing with a Christian label per se, but rather a label that that had, uh, yeah, had a foot in both worlds. But sold records at Christian bookstores. Yeah, eventually. I mean, that was the, I think that the idea was that it was going to be available everywhere, but but the path of res- least resistance for them because they had had a background in that was... Christian bookstores. How about that, Father Chris, Father David, if one of you wants to pick that up, did you know you were signing with a Christian rock label? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we knew that Tooth and Nail was started by, you know, Christian people. But I think what we liked about their philosophy, uh, like Matt said, is that they felt like, well, there's these two markets out there. We'll certainly market in the, the Christian bookstore world, but really wanted to shop it to college radio and get distribution and, you know, local record stores. And, you know, so we, we saw it as maybe an opportunity, something that's similar to our own philosophy. Uh, so we knew we were stepping into some kind of Christian world, but not really expecting that it was going to be exclusively that. Well, how would you characterize your philosophy at that point in your life? <laughs> well, I don't know if, you know, we you know, had some kind of vision or mission statement or anything. But, you know, I think the fact that we were Christians, um, but we never really felt like we were there to be a Christian band at all. We were just a band who wanted to get out there and play and make music and, you know, certainly kind of reflects our our worldview, but we didn't see the band as some type of, uh, you know, evangelistic crusade or anything like that. And so it seemed like tooth and nail kind of had a similar philosophy that way. Right. And they, you know, I, I guess the market, I think we learned in the film that Amy Grant was one of the big sellers in the Christian market at that point. And you guys were not Amy Grant, mm -hmm. clearly. And, not at all. And you put out this record, Amazing and Thank You. And they did sell them in Christian bookstores. And note that many of them were later returned to those bookstores. There was a there were some lyrics in some of the songs, and this song in particular, "Bitter Once Again," where there's uh, uncertain sexuality or maybe a whiff of the homoerotic, depending on who you ask. wasn't anything else happening like that at that moment. Things were super masculine. There was discussion about that. You know, are they or aren't they? Oh, people thought they were gay dudes. I mean, everybody thought, oh, Lee, that, that, that Lee guy is gay. That's a clip from the film Parallel Love. Another song, Never Be a Lady Like Me. And, and Lee, in the film, you, you deny that this was a sexual thing and, you know, were a little confused why people would confuse it to be homoerotic. Really? Never crossed your mind? Well, it's just a failure to read the lyrics or to listen to actually what's being said, right? I mean, I of course, I my background were were these, I guess, more androgynous types, the David Bowie, the Mark Bolan, Morrissey types, you know, that kind of play with sexualized language in a kind of a, a middling kind of way. Um, so that naturally, that's what I was going to do because that's what I was informed by, right? But if you actually listen to the lyrics, you know, the, the particular song you mentioned, Bitter Once Again, it it describes, you know, basically looking down a girl's shirt in which nature stands in the way, and you can kind of get the imagery there uh, for a heterosexual male, versus looking down a boy's shirt, which nature will let you down every time. So that's sort of the opposite. So if you pay attention to the lyrics, there's no... Um, there's certainly a kind of a certain amount of eroticism there, but not homoeroticism, eroticism. Um, so I think it's just sort of a failure to really pay attention to the lyric. It's like it's like Bruce Springsteen and, and born in the USA, right? That has been it, adopted as a patriotic theme. Yeah, it is an exact opposite of a patriotic. Um, I mean, it kind of it's kind of a patriotic song, but not in the way people think it is. So, but interestingly the, enough, the, the lyrics were not printed for that particular song on the on the record that came out from Tooth and Nail. Yeah. 
that is interesting. But I mean, Brandon says it was just an oversight. It's a significant oversight, but uh, I, I believe him, what he says in the film. So somebody says they did warn you not to sign with tooth and nail. Uh, and in some, many ways, the film is almost a case, of stu- case study of maybe not getting the right fit right off. Have you ever thought about the road not taken there? I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm not sure how the Eastern Orthodox faith thinks about destiny or anything like that, or, you know, uh, God's plan for you. But I'm wondered, especially with what came next for you, did you ever think about what if we had been a straight up rock band? Yeah, well, this is this is Father David. I mean, we, you know, my wife and I talk about that from time to time, especially now with the film kind of being in place and and all the band stuff being sort of brought back to our attention. You know, I mean, the other night we were sitting in a screening here in Dallas and I said, imagine if we hadn't gotten a spot on that Saturday at Cornerstone and we hadn't signed a tooth and nail, then what would have happened? Um, you know, of course, looking back, everything makes sense, you know, why everything has happened the way it has and where why we have ended up where we have ended up. And so I'm, I don't, regret any of that. I'm very, very pleased with how my life has turned out. Um, and I think that if if we had had more success or a different kind of success, that the things that we value now would not be in place. You know, I think that like a lot of people in the music industry, our marriages would have been jeopardized. Our children would be, you know, miscreants and and probably we wouldn't be able to express ourselves and our faith in the way we do now. So, I don't. I mean, for me personally, I think Father Chris and my brother, Father James, probably re- feel the same way that we don't regret any of this. Um, Father Chris, do you want to add anything to that? No, I, I mean, I agree with what Father David is saying. Um, you know, my my wife and I have talked about that before too. Is that uh, if we would have had more success in, you know, I guess, the mainstream market? You know, I I don't. It's what we wanted at the time, but you know, I don't. I don't know how we would have handled all of that. So I think Tooth and Nail allowed us to have, you know, a certain amount of success, uh, certainly fans around the country and the the opportunity to tour. Um, but I think, you know, after the, the accident and the subsequent, you know, just the way life happens, getting married, having children, having to support yourselves, you know, we just weren't able to to take it kind of that next step anyway. Well, we're going to take a break and come back to hearing more of that story about the accident that was just referenced. We're talking with the members of the band Luxury, originally a Tacoa, Georgia-based band at the heart of a documentary film called Parallel Love. And Matt Hinton, the filmmaker and guitarist for the band, is with us, as are Father Chris and Father Dave, the bass player and singer, respectively, of the band Luxury as Lee Bozeman and Chris Foley. We're going to leave you with some music from that first record on Tooth and Nail. Amazing and Thank You is the name of the record. This song is Kill the Famous. We'll be right back with more of On Second Thought. We invite your comments, questions, and civil complaints at our Facebook group, GPB Radio On Second Thought. We're on Twitter at OST Talk. You can email us at onsecondthought at gpb.org or leave us a message at 404-500-9457. If you missed any of today's show or would like to listen on your own time, hit the Programs tab for On Second Thought at gpbnews.org. You can subscribe to the OST podcast so you will never miss a beat. 
We are back with On Second Thought from GPP. I'm Virginia Prescott, talking with members of the band Luxury. Formed way back in the early 90s at Toccoa Falls, a Christian college in North Georgia. Luxury did not follow the well-worn MTV behind-the-music trajectory of rock and roll superstardom, followed by descent into drugs or alcoholism, varieties of depravity, and then rehab. But there was a near-death experience. And now three members of the band are Eastern Orthodox Christian priests, but they're still playing together and have a new record out, in fact. Their unfolding story is the subject of a documentary film called Parallel Love, the story of a band called Luxury. It's making its Atlanta premiere at the Plaza Theater on Wednesday, June 19th, and then the following night at Cine in Athens. That's on Thursday the 20th. Matt Hinton is a filmmaker behind Parallel Love and guitarist for Luxury with us. Father Christopher, he's from Holy Cross Orthodox Church in High Point, North Carolina. He's also Chris Foley, bass player of the band Luxury. And Father David of St. John of Damascus in Tyler, Texas, also known as Lee Bozeman, singer of the band Luxury. Okay, so let's get to this um, a really crucial or critical point in your lives and the life of the band. You were touring with the fellow Georgia band Piltdown Man, an epic show at Cornerstone in 1995, staying in dorm rooms, riding together in this caravan of cars. You have everything. That's what a publicist says about the film. Here he is remembering the performance at Cornerstone Festival in July of 1995. I was right there in front of Lee, totally enamored, totally blown away. The moves that that boy had. It was a good crowd, very energetic. No one has seen us play live before. Uh, They were playing South, and at some point in the song, Jamie was like overwhelmed by the rock. Just went completely bonkers, and at that point, The train did, in fact, come off the rails. That was volatile, you know? It's what rock and roll should be. Alex Johns of Piltdown Man there, recalling Lee's brother's guitarist, Jamie Bozeman, smashing up his guitar. This is a man whose fingers were always bloodied at the end of the set. A really triumphant performance in the band, just bursting at the time. But it was a caravan home in two cars that Lee, drummer Glenn Black... The manager at the time, Alex Reed, driving a terrible, terrible crash. Matt, you spent a lot of time in the film on the crash. I mean, we were living it, this van flipping over and, you know, bodies flying from a number of different points of view. Mm -hmm. What was it like to go back through that? Yeah, several people recently actually asked me if that was sort of emotional making that part of the film. And when you're editing, you're just in, you just have a job to do and you're not... um, not necessarily that emotional content about it. Um, and really it wasn't until I saw the film for the first time with other people that it sort of dawned on me the, that um, the emotional impact that, that that had on me. I mean, certainly I knew it at the time, you know, 20 plus years ago. But, um, uh, but that was when it had that impact and I kind of recognized uh, what it was in the film. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it was a crazy day. Yeah, when we see these young men in the film, you know, three of them had broken necks in traction, um, in hospital beds. Lee, this was all covered in the press. The van was absolutely flattened. It basically landed on Lee. In the film, you recount all of the 
internal and external injuries, just a horrible list. Um, how well do you remember that time, that moment? Well, memory is a funny thing, of course, because uh, you think you remember the vacations that you went on when you were a kid, but are you really just remembering the photographs of the vacation that you went on when you were a kid? It's sort of hard to know what that is. But I do remember, you know, I think all of us probably told the story of the wreck shortly thereafter lots and lots of times. And then over the over the years, every so often it would come up. And, and what I realized is that I had sort of worn certain grooves into the into the story. There were certain ways that I always told the story. And so probably there's a sense in which that repetition kind of hammers it in in terms of, of memory. And I think that in general, all of our stories are pretty consistent about mm. about how it happened. It's and yet a Rashomon from, effect, right? All of these different people yeah, are telling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but it's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they're from different perspectives, right? Because, you know, some of the people were in the van, others of us were outside of the van, and you know, we just have different um, different angles on the same event going down. But mm. yeah. Was... Well, Father David, for you, it was a very different experience. You were you were there and very very badly injured. Uh, how, what is it like for you to see all of this again? Well, mostly, it's interesting um, because I have no memory of it. Right. Um, it, it's interesting to watch the film because it it tells me a story that I don't know. Uh, for instance, the fact that. The Alex Johns, who describes being in the front seat and flipping over um, and kind of fooling around, like I had no, I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was sort of what was happening. So um, that was enlightening. And trying to piece together where I ended up underneath the van and how I ended up with the injuries that I had, that was that was very interesting as well. But it wasn't necessarily an emotional um thing, I guess. Not that I'm particularly emotional, but it, it, it wasn't, I didn't have the emotional uh, stress that other people, as I described in the film, I didn't, I didn't have that kind of impact or it didn't have that kind of impact on me. Um, just, it was really curious mainly. I was like, wow, that's what happened. And um, now I've seen it enough to kind of piece it all together. And so um, it makes more sense now what happened. What was going through your head? Were you thinking of songs? I mean, was it is it just was it just about survival at that point? Well, I never thought I was going to die. So um, maybe that's just being twenty two or twenty three years old. And you're you know you think you're immortal, and I I don't I never felt I was going to be in a in a weird place. Now we had to deal with a lot of physical stuff that I had to figure out. But I mean, the two days after the wreck, the nurses who were very cruel um, got me out of bed and had me walking. You know. Because they had to, you know, and it was terribly painful and awful, but they um, but they did what they could to to move me in the right direction. And so but we were you know, I think we were surrounded by people that did that. My mother in law, you know, she came and when I wasn't eating, she threatened me in all sorts of ways to make me eat. And, you know, so it was it was that was sort of the struggle was you just kind of lapse into um, you know, kind of lethargy, I guess, because you're hurt, you know. And my wife worked really hard and she supported me. And, and so my main job was just to get to get better physically. And then after all that kind of happened, then I was able to reflect a little bit and 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 write about it a little bit. Um, after the accident, there were some potential long term effects that were, you know, 
coming to bear on us. Um, and those were difficult. We had to kind of maneuver, you know, kind of maneuver through those. Um, but even those didn't turn out to be um, as severe as as uh, they could have been. And um, you know, time heals <laughs> time heals all wounds, right? And you you forget about things probably too quickly. And you know, um, I probably live live my life more recklessly than I should, considering what I've gone through, you know. That is Father David, who was also known as Lee Bozeman, the singer from the band Luxury, also with me, Father Christopher, who uh, known as Chris Foley from the band Luxury, and Matt Hinton, the guitarist for the band and filmmaker for the film Parallel Love, which we're talking about, uh, among other things today. Well, Chris, you were the person who had to call Lee's, Lee's wife and tell her after the accident. Um so I imagine there's a different level of emotionality when you remember it. Am I right? Yes, yes. And I allude to that in the film. I mean, that is probably one of the hardest phone calls I ever had to make, um, you know, because he was in ICU and, you know, the the doctors were telling us they didn't know if he was going to make it. They were still assessing the extent of his injuries, but I needed to know so I could call her and let her know. And so... You know, I, I call her and I think she throws the phone. I talked to Jamie's wife who was there and just told her what happened. And uh, so I think she got on a you know plane the next day. But, you know, having to watch all of that, you know, Matt and I were in the car following the van. Um, you know, so we had, you know, we weren't feeling or experiencing any physical pain, but just that emotional trauma of seeing your friends in this awful, awful accident mm-hmm. and just everything goes in slow motion and you know, I still see that, you know, in my mind. And it, it's just, you know, I can never really erase that memory. And even if I see a van that looks like that van on the highway, it just, it triggers something. Mm. Um, but it was, you know, it was hard to watch. And you run over there and, you know, you, you see the, the destruction of the van. You see your friends laying there, you know, seeing Lee under the van. I mean, it was just, it was just so surreal. But you just move into automatic pilot and... You know, you're, you're just thinking, is, is this really happening? I, you know, it, it's just a very strange experience. Let's hear just a clip of Father Chris, then Chris Foley, talking about that experience in the film Parallel Love. I think what I realized is I love playing music in this band, but if we didn't play anymore, you know, I'm fine with that. I'm glad Lee's alive. Music wasn't exactly number one priority. I mean, Lee's always been a fairly serious person, and he became even more... <laughs> serious. I think it kind of forced him to maybe deal with some of that through his art. You know, how is God good in the midst of this tragedy? How do I struggle through that? What does this do to my faith? Well, maybe it is also a testament that you all were in your 20s, that you did your your next show five months later after that incredible accident. But then another record, the latest and the greatest. I'm curious about like what the experience of making that record was after your after all that you had been through. Yeah, this is Father David. So it was it was it's just a confusing time. I mean, everything everything was different, but we were still operating as if nothing had fundamentally changed you know um we were still under contract with tooth and nail and we decided to record the record and i had written some songs it was kind of even sort of lyrically and thematically it was sort of this 
in these two different places, right? I mean, some of the songs were kind of hearkening back to the first record and all the bravado of that. And then some of the songs were about this, this, the, the scenario that we'd just gone through. So it felt, it, it feels to me, it feels like a very sort of split personality record. Um, and it was, you know, contractually obligated and we went recorded in the studio with the, the, the experience wasn't great. We didn't get sort of the record we wanted out of it, I think. Um, I mean, it's not the record that I would listen to myself, you know, these days, but, um, but some of the things we captured kind of were true and authentic, you know, I think that's the way I think about it. Some things were less true and, and some things were more, more so, um, so I'm still conflicted about the whole thing at this point. So you left Tooth and Nail and made another record with Bulletproof Records, a very beloved um, uh, a record by many people. In fact, David Vanderpoel, I think he's the head of Bulletproof, is he, Matt? Mm-hmm. Matt's yeah. nodding. Said, is the best thing we ever put out. Here he is talking about it in the film Parallel Love. His audience wasn't necessarily the people at the foot of the stage. It was more of this, like, talking with the other, you know, talking with eternity or something. The songs were just slamming, and there's like a really raw brassiness to the recording quality. To Conquer and Destroy, I loved that song. Here I am. Yeah. All right, I realize now, or I'm told now that it was David Stith, not David Vanderpoel, who said that. That is one thing about this film, Matt. You have so many people, and it's such crisp editing going from person to person. It was really hard for me to keep track. Sorry. But that is the thing. We learned that there are so many people who are deeply influenced by the band Luxury. Um, and, and you know, you're at a, you, the band switches to this other label, no longer on this label that has the, the sense of a Christian record label with it. Uh, somebody says, you don't start with pornography and think you'll become an actress. So that is one of the lines that, you know, <laughs> that, that comes across in the film. How, how are people reflecting on this band? What are you hearing from them? Um, I think it depends on where they, how they were introduced to the band. I mean, there are very many people in Atlanta, for example, who would have seen, more likely to see luxury in a regular venue wouldn't necessarily have that association at all. And then there are those who were aware of that association and would say, oh, well, that's a Christian band, and therefore I want nothing to do with it. So, uh, I mean, it was interesting. Like a a month or so ago, we had a screening in Alabama, and there was a uh, woman there who said, oh, like afterwards there was a Q&A session. She was the first person to to make a remark. And she said... um, she said, I lived in Atlanta at the time, and I, I booked a venue then, and I can tell you that like that Christian thing, is that's for real. So what, what do you mean? She said, oh, like Luxury had a reputation of being that kind of band, and therefore we – there are a couple of big shows that Luxury was up for, and we did not book them for those shows because of that reputation that they had. I thought, oh, that's so – I wish I had had you for the, for the movie. 
Yeah, that would have added an interesting aspect to it because they're every, the people that you speak to love the band and almost in spite of it being a Christian band in, yeah, some, yeah. in some kind of way. Well, if it is, like I, I mean, I deny that it is a Christian well, band. Well, that's a question. Is that it, that's something you, Father Christopher and Father David, you know, you, you get asked, are you a Christian band? Does that matter? Well, you know, we'd get asked that all the time. And I mean, obviously our first answer would just be, well, well, no, we're not. I mean, that's not part of our identity of why we started the band. Um, you know, there is a whole Christian music industry, and those bands exist in order to preach a message, um, to carry a message. And that was never our, you know, ideal. We just wanted to write, you know, good songs and good music and get out there and play. And so sometimes when people would ask the question, it, you don't really know how to answer. What what makes a band or a song, a Christian song or not a Christian song. I mean, people can be Christians, but I don't, can a band, can a inanimate object? <laughs> um, you know, but certainly, you know, we were Christian people. <laughs> uh, so it was always really an awkward question. And remains so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> One thing in that there are so many bands who would also say, like, we don't, we, we won't say that we're, uh, you know, um, I don't know, a prog rock band or, you know, the, a lot of people fight those kind of they definitions. They are, though. They're they, totally, <laughs> totally are. But, you know, you know, that kind of idea, like, don't put us in a box. And they may not think of themselves as that, but the marketing machine wants to say, well, they're kind of like, you know, the Beach Boys meet the Runaways uh, on the way to a Smiths concert. You know right. what I mean? There's a way that they get you. You get paid. Well, that's marketing for you. I mean, mar I mean, and for you know, I guess for its own reasons, it wants to put a thing in into a box that is sellable, and so uh, you wind up with various kinds of labels for or genres or what have you. Um, but. Uh, but sometimes it's just ill-fitting, like it's not quite, doesn't really, doesn't get to the heart of the thing. And it's, you know, with the, like with Christian music in particular, with Christian rock, like so much of it is, um, I mean, there's this, maybe it's apocryphal, but there's this idea in, in like Nashville, in the Nashville uh, contemporary Christian music world, that you have to have a certain number of JPMs, uh, which is Jesus's per minute no like the number of and that again that may be like sort of a joke but but sort of this idea that like that um that you would use god for your purposes rather than the other way around is uh if anything is is not like doesn't strike me as being particularly christian oh, and it's cynical and entirely yeah. believable at the same time right right yeah yeah so that's I think that uh, that that's a little bit of what Father David is gesturing towards. Well, everybody loves the conversion story, don't they? And we're going to get that after we return from the break. We're talking with Matt Hinton, who is just speaking there. He is a guitarist for the band Luxury, director and producer of the film Parallel Love. Also with us, Father David, also known as Lee Bozeman, singer and guitarist for the band Luxury. And he's also an Orthodox priest. And Father Christopher is with us, Orthodox priest now and former and actually current bassist for the band Luxury. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought after a short break.
We're back with On Second Thought from GPB on Virginia Prescott, speaking with the members of the band Luxury. Three members of the band are Eastern Orthodox priests now, and they're still playing together. Here is one of them, guitarist Jamie Bozeman from the film Parallel Love. This is the room where I work on both music and church stuff, so it's a weird combination of rock band and orthodoxy. Over here you can see my vestments, but then of course right next to them is the requisite uh, Fender Bandmaster. That's a clip from the film Parallel Love. Matt Hinton is with us. He is the editor, producer, writer, director of the film. The documentary features making its Atlanta premiere at the Plaza Theater on Wednesday, June 19th. After that, the next night, it is going to be at Sine in Athens. Also with us is Father Christopher, otherwise known as Chris Foley, the bassist from the band Luxury, and Father David, also known as Lee Bozeman, a singer and guitarist for Luxury. So after your records... On Bulletproof Records, you all, your reality's changed. You know, you're, you're, the rock star career goal um, is on hold, I think Jamie says in the film. He's painting houses, you're having kids, doing side projects in some cases. Jamie did. Um, I think Lee, you also, or Father David, has Lee also <laughs> made a record of your own. Father Christopher, I'm wondering what was going on for you at this time. Well, as a bass player, you know, I don't have side projects. I mean, what am I going to do? I have a, a solo bass project? Yes, you are. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was working, you know, trying to support myself and my family, um, but also, you know, getting very involved in my, my local church. I had converted to the Eastern Orthodox Christian faith by that point. And, you know, as the band was just winding down in terms of we weren't, you know, actively touring, we were still doing some recording, um, but I just started considering uh, going to Orthodox Seminary uh, in New York and uh, eventually made the decision uh, to move up there, you know, selling our house in Georgia and uh, just pursuing that as a vocation or testing that vocation rather. Um, but never really, you know, we never put a period at the end of luxury. Um, but there was a sense that I was, you know, maybe leaving that behind a little bit Uh but, you know, not so much an intentional decision as it is just, okay, well, life has to continue. And so that was the next step. Uh, so in the early 2000s, I moved up to New York uh, to start seminary. And then two years in, get a call from Lee saying, hey, we're going to do another record. So oh. we did our, our fourth album while I was... Uh, you know, at seminary. Well, this is something that we don't learn much about in the film, that process for you, how you discovered the Eastern Orthodoxy. It's not terrifically well-known here in Georgia, I think it's safe to say. So right. how, how did you find that? And, and I'm curious about the discernment process, making that decision to go to seminary. Yeah, well, there was a group of us, you know, when, when we went up to Tocoa Falls College, a small, small town up there, we were going to a local church, um, and eventually, make a long story short, there was a group of about 35 or 40 of us that just started just studying the history of the church, uh, started studying, you know, how did the early church, how did the, the disciples of the disciples, if you will, understand church and worship? Uh, many of us were getting just disillusioned with, you know, the current evangelical experiment at the time and just longing for something um, that was more transcendent you know, be in the presence of God and where he's truly worshipped with awe and reverence as opposed to, you know, some big rock show, <laughs> mm -hmm. ironically. Um, and uh, Lee and his wife were also part of that group. So we just started 
stunning and really felt like the Orthodox Church found us rather than we found it. Um, just realizing, as you said, it was, you know, pretty, you know, it's just not well known in the West, but, you know, Orthodox Christianity is probably the second largest body in Christendom, but, you know, you find it mostly in Eastern Europe, Middle East, uh, and Northern Africa. Um, but there's just a growing demographic of people discovering uh, this Eastern Christianity. And so it just really resonated, I think, with with a few of us, just really answering some questions and just the, the worship is so captivating and beautiful. And then, you know, a spiritual life, kind of an orthopraxy, if you will, just a way of living one's life practically. Um, and so we made the decision, uh, you know, to become Orthodox. I'm wondering for you, Father David, what kind of, this is something you joined, what kind of succor or nourishment did Eastern Orthodox Christianity offer to you that you did not get in the Baptist faith of, of your father, an evangelical pastor? Well, it's, I mean, it's authentic. It's real. Um, it has depth and meaning and true experience. And when you're 21 or 22 years old and you're, you know, you're coming out of that teenage phase phase of disenchantment with everything and you're looking for something meaningful, um, you know, and I was raised to to look for something meaningful and something real. And you look around at the the culture that you're you find yourself in, and it's just it's just a wasteland, you know. And then suddenly you're exposed to the orthodox um, mode of existence, which is just, I mean, it just sort of it ripples, you know, with meaning and and authenticity. It's just it was impossible for me um, to not just you know, jump right in because um, I wanted something that was real. And I think that was, you know, even with the music, everything, everything we did, we tried to be authentic in everything that we did and, and faith to, in order to be authentic. This was the route that we had to go from. I mean, that's what the route that I had to take personally. How did others at Toccoa Falls, which is a, you know, a Christian college, um, predominantly Baptist, how did they respond to what is essentially an old world religion, you all embracing that? Well, the irony is that uh, Father James, Jamie at the time, he was probably, of all of our friends, the one most skeptical about us hmm. <laughs> becoming Orthodox. And, and I think that's indicative of a, a culture of, of evangelicalism that is still reacting against the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. you know, pro Protestantism. And so I think there were some people that just thought we were, you know, joining some cult or something. They, they had no understanding of the history of the church. It looked foreign to them, so it must be something non-Christian or pagan or... <laughs> God forbid, Roman Catholic or something. Uh, <laughs> but you you were all married, so obviously the rules are different than for Catholic priests. Right. Yeah, Orthodox priests can be married and have, have children and have families. That would have been really complicated if that weren't true. 
Yeah. We wouldn't be priests. Yeah. That is Father David. Also with me, Father Chris and Matt Hinton from the band Luxury. But as we're hearing, uh, Father David and Father Christopher are also Orthodox priests in the Eastern Orthodox faith. Well, Matt, what was it like for you? I mean, you are playing with these guys uh, that you're used to, you know, for a long time, and suddenly they're priests. <laughs> what is that like to, when you're rehearsing? Um, it's not different at all. No. No, like, you, you don't you sort of stand up straighter and think you should behave differently. <laughs> he should. Um, yeah, no kidding. Um, I mean, you know, it's been, it's a long it's not like it happened overnight. So these are people that I've known for a long time and and they've been on the trajectory that they've been on for a good long time. And um, no, I wouldn't say, I mean, in terms of that stuff, I would not say that things are different at all in terms of the band stuff. Um, you know, we're not going to play a show on a Sunday morning. How has the music changed? I think that um, I think that the most recent record, Trophies, which just came out, uh, I would say that it's sort of a culmination of all the things that ha- that luxury has been from the beginning. Um it has uh, songs that are sort of heavy and swaggering, and then songs that are are more um, almost sort of shoegazy, and uh, and a lot in between. Father David, you said something about you still really like this. Is is being a priest a little bit like being on stage as a singer? Um, yeah, I mean, it has some. That um, definitely has some crossover. Uh, you know, to that, it the content is different, and the the objective is a little bit different. I'm not trying to perform, although there is a certain amount of performance when it comes to liturgy. You want to you want to do it well, you know. Mm-hmm. You want to deliver. Um, you want you don't want to be a distraction. It's like when you watch a band that isn't very good, and you're embarrassed for them the whole time. Like you don't want that in liturgy, you know. Um, so. Like you want to do, you want to do your best. You want to offer your best. I think we said this in the film. You want to offer your very best, and so that's very much similar to um, performance in a band. But um, but it's not about me necessarily. Even if I don't do a very good job, so to speak, um, the liturgy is still accomplished and the work is still done, and that is what's what, what is important. Father Christopher, tell me about that, 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 that kind of way that you reckoned, you know, your talent and what you had to offer as a musician with what you were doing now as, as a priest. Yeah, I, I think for me, becoming Orthodox and then becoming an Orthodox priest was the really the ultimate fulfillment in what I have been desiring all along, which is this authenticity where now as a priest in our liturgy like form and function just come together as one and there's a transparency and so what i'm reflecting on the film is that's not just about vocationally the priesthood that's really about our whole life needs to be something if we want to find meaning in it that we can offer up to god in thanksgiving all that we have and we offer it up with hands raised and asking uh, God to return it to us as something life-giving and meaningful. So anybody in a leadership position struggles with 
being in front of people and all of that. But what I appreciate is the the Orthodox liturgy is constantly bringing me back and reminding me, you know what? It's not about you at all. Mm. <laughs> um, and so it, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. That's almost anti-rock star. It is. <laughs> do people in your parish know about your past? They do. I mean, it's not something that I, I've ever really talked about much in front of the parish, but certainly people know that about me, and I don't, I'm not afraid to talk about it. And in individual conversations, it has certainly come up. But now with the film coming out, I think for the You're first outed. time, <laughs> for the first time in 13 years, I had to make an announcement at the end of <laughs> church. Well, I know some of you are interested in this film that's going to be shown this week. So here's the details. Well, so Matt, you're responsible for this, right? You're presenting the world with mm. a picture of these, this band, this extraordinary band, your extraordinary band. Yeah, well, that's the, I mean, you know, there's nothing lamer in the world than making a movie about your own band. And so that's like, that's the the line that I'm trying to walk. It's like, how do I even communicate this to other people? Uh, because that just seems so dumb to do. And I would be suspicious if, if I saw somebody else doing it. I think part of it is that because I joined the band later and sort of have always felt a little bit like an observer or just sort of kind of on the outside, not part of that core group. It just seemed so interesting and somebody should make a movie about this and, and why not me? Well, I want to thank you so much for bringing it to us. Thank you. Matt Hinton, he is the director, writer, producer, and editor of Parallel Love. And Father Christopher at Holy Cross Orthodox Church in North Carolina, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. It's a joy being here. And Father David, I really want to thank you for your time. Father David from St. John of Damascus Church in Tyler, Texas. Thank you very much for having us. Appreciate it. You can find more on both the new record, Trophies from the Band Luxury, and also the film Parallel Love, which is making its Atlanta premiere at the Plaza Theater on Wednesday, June 19th, and its Cine in Athens on Thursday the 20th. Again, you can find a trailer to the film at gpbnews.org. On Second Thought is produced by Amelia Brock, Leighton Rowell, and The Raven Taylor. Jesse Nyswanger is our engineer. Don Smith, our dean of grammar. Amy Kiley is senior producer. And Sarah Shariari is managing editor for GPB News. I'm Virginia Prescott. Thanks so much for listening to On Second Thought. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.